It was the early 1950s, and there were three teams racing to achieve what they knew would be one of the biggest scientific discoveries of the 20th century. They were racing to understand the structure of DNA. The team that everyone expected to win was based out of Caltech and headed by Linus Pauling, one of the world's most accomplished chemists. In fact, a chemist who had just unraveled the not altogether unrelated mystery of protein structure. The other two teams were both British. One was based out of King's College in London and was headed by Maurice Wilkins, an expert in molecular biology, and Rosalind Franklin, an expert in X-ray crystallography. The other was based out of Cavendish Laboratory in Cambridge and was headed by two rather unknown biologists, Francis Crick and James Watson. When the structure of DNA was finally deduced in the year 1953, it seemed to be very clear who deserved credit. But as time has gone by, the waters have become a bit murkier, and depending to whom you speak, the credit misappropriated. I am Samuel Hansen, and this is the Science Sparring Society. That is not to say that the discovery itself was entirely smooth. In fact, there was a decent amount of conflict, almost all of it in and between the British teams. The London team in particular seemed to lack a certain amount of harmony, a problem that seems to have stemmed primarily from a letter written by J.T. Randall. Randall wrote this letter to Rosalind Franklin, a British scientist who had recently spent a few years in France and had just come back to join King's College. The letter stated that Franklin and a graduate student would be the only staff doing crystallographic studies of DNA. What the letter did not mention was that a certain Maurice Wilkins, who is also the assistant director of the entire lab, was already working on the DNA problem, just from a different angle. Randall also forgot to mention the contents of this letter to Wilkins. When Franklin joined the lab, Wilkins was away on holiday, and by the time he came back, she was already well established in the lab, and she quickly came to view his work on DNA as interference. It is likely that their personalities would not have meshed well in the best of circumstances, Franklin having been described as a direct, honest person who enjoyed a good argument, and Wilkins being a bit more gentle and, well, English. But thanks to the letter and to the patriarchal nature of King's College, which was a rather huge change from her experience as a scientist in France, these were not the best of circumstances. The London team had something that none of the other teams did, the best sample of DNA. 
and their work progressed well because of it and because of Franklin's skills. She was the one that discovered that DNA had two forms, dry and wet, depending on the humidity, and her X-ray images, in particular one titled Photograph 51, were of the highest order. The Franklin and Wilkins interactions continued to be fraught, so much so that Franklin once told Wilkins to leave the diffraction work to her and to go back to his microscopes. Wilkins also was a strong believer that DNA's structure was helical, a hypothesis that Franklin did not fully support. She did agree that it appeared wet DNA was in the form of a helix, but she was so sure that dry DNA was not that she printed a death notice for the DNA helix. In 1951, Wilkins and Franklin presented some of their findings, and one of the Cambridge team, James Watson, was there. After seeing the work, Watson returned to Cambridge, where he and Francis Crick created a model of DNA that used a triple helix. When they presented this work to the London team, they did not exactly receive a good response. Franklin just pointed out to them that their configuration couldn't even hold together. Wilkins, forever the diplomat, wrote one letter requesting that they stop working on DNA, fearing as anyone would that the Cambridge team was going to use the London team's own research to win this race. But then, he wrote a second letter on the same day saying, This is just to say how bloody browned off I am entirely and how rotten I feel about it all, and how entirely friendly I am, though it may possibly appear differently. We are really between forces which may grind us all into little pieces. I had to restrain Randall from writing to brag, complaining about your behavior. In fact, the head of the Cambridge lab, Bragg, did stop Watson and Crick's work on DNA, but only for around a year. And all that while, the London team kept on working. And work they did. Franklin kept on taking x-ray photographs and making measurements. She was the sort of scientist that went where the data led her. She did not like making intuitive leaps, and her work on the dry form of DNA ended up leading her in the wrong direction. Then, in early 1953, the team in Pasadena announced that they had cracked the problem. Pauling's model used a triple helix, just as Watson's and Crick's had, and was also wrong. Franklin, who had actually decided to leave off her DNA work to go work in a different lab, citing the positively repulsive King's College lab as the reason, was shown this new model by Watson, who had shown up without invitation at her lab. She responded with her anti-helix evidence, and then they almost came to blows after Watson implied that she didn't know how to interpret her own images. It was while relating this story to Wilkins that Photograph 51 comes into the story, as Wilkins, without Franklin's permission, showed the image to Watson. There's no evidence that Franklin ever learned of this fact before her death. Now this image, this Photograph 51, was of wet DNA, and it turned out to be all that Watson needed. And soon, he and Crick had managed to convince their laboratory's chief to allow them to restart their research. 
And within one month, they had finished their model. Their now very, very famous model of the double helix structure of DNA. It should be noted that Linus Pauling was supposed to visit London in 1952. He was refused a passport by the US government because of McCarthyist suspicions related to his anti-atomic weapon activism. And if he had, there is a chance that he could have seen that photograph. And then, well, then this story could be very, very different. The Watson and Crick model of DNA appeared in the journal Nature in July 1953, where it happened to be joined by a paper by Franklin and her graduate student Raymond Gosling about the molecular structure of the double helix. She had finally, in the end, come over to the helical side. The real fight over DNA started after Rosalind Franklin's death, and it was kicked off thanks to the 1968 memoir, The Double Helix, by James Watson. In the book, Watson implies that Franklin was only a technician and could have had better relationships with men if she had only prettied herself up a bit, while still managing to make clear that she had played a large part in the discovery. And he has more recently come out with the hypothesis that she was a high-function autistic. This sort of language, by one of the people credited with the discovery of DNA, rather unsurprisingly, did not go over well amongst many. And in particular, people in the feminist world became very outspoken about the way that Franklin had been treated. She has since become something of a feminist icon, the portrait of a female scientist cheated out of her proper credit. Franklin had already passed when Watson, Crick, and Wilkins were awarded the Nobel for their work on DNA, and only Wilkins even bothered to mention her in his speech. But maybe, maybe if she had still been alive and had been given that third spot, she was definitely more deserving of it than Wilkins. Then the furor over her perceived lack of credit post Watson's memoir would have been lessened. But that's just not how it happened. It is clear that Franklin should have received more credit for the breakthrough on DNA, and that the portrayal of her by Watson was manifestly unfair. The fact is that Watson and Crick would not have figured out the structure of DNA when they did without her work. It is also clear that the environment that Franklin was working in was patriarchal in the extreme. Wilkins even once wrote to Watson, let's have some talks afterward when the air is a little clearer. I hope the smell of witchcraft will soon be getting out of our eyes. And she should not have had to put up with it. This does not mean though that she was the real discoverer of DNA structure, or that she deserves an equal share of the credit with Watson and Crick. In the end, it was James Watson 
and Francis Crick that discovered the structure of DNA, thanks to the X-ray photography work of Rosalind Franklin. Now that, that wasn't so hard, was it? If only they would have said it that way when it happened. <laughs>